The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. All right, thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today I'm here with my guest, Dr. Shernet Kidd. Shernet, are you ready to share with some quality people? I am. Right, thank you for having me. No, no. Thank you for saying yes. I'm, I'm giddy over here. This has been a long time in the making, so I'm really excited that you you said yes and you're joining us today. So thank you very much. Um, Charnette, we, we love to start every show with positive affirmations really to get our momentum going. So I'd love if you could share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? Well, you know what? Um, process uh, with my background process improvement is, is core is critical to every industry I am in healthcare and of course there's going to be no exception there either and um, there's a saying that goes like this um, a couple things I would say what gets measured gets done and another one is um, is that if you can't describe what you're doing as a process then you don't know what you're doing that's coming from Demon. So those two things I really live by because it brings in the fact that you have to understand the process and it also uh, couples it with the fact that data is critical and uh, measurements um, certainly are going to be something that's going to be value to help you a sense of, hey, where I'm going and how. All right, perfect. And um, I, I will say without a doubt, Shernette, those are two of my favorite quotes, especially the one about if you can't describe it as a process, you don't know what you're doing. I've use that a bajillion times with the teams and the different projects that I work with. And yeah, yeah, that, that one just cuts close to home. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Whoops. Um, Charnette, let me move you to the first real question and I'm happy to, again, just take this chance to, to thank you for joining this uh, podcast. Um, you know, you've been on my list of folks that I've really wanted to pull onto this show to introduce um, you know, our, our listeners to another highly, highly, highly impressive quality person who's doing it in a lot of big ways. So uh, Shernet, I would love if you could just take a chance to um, introduce yourself, kind of briefly describe the work that you're leading, your professional background, and also share with us what led you into this career path. Absolutely, and again, Jarvis, it's a great, it's a pleasure to be here. And um, as far as my current role, um, as of uh, today, which is uh, November, if you will, uh, the date of the recording, um, end of November, I am the AVP of uh, Systems Effectiveness. I have to think about that because it's so new. I uh, apologize for that. But what that means um, is that I now have, uh, for the past five years, I had process improvement um, under me as the department that I was focused on. And, um, and this is a Cook Children's Healthcare System. 
And um, with the change in role, I actually have now assumed the innovation responsibilities for. So I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, certainly challenges are going to be there, but I'm certainly one that does not shy from a challenge. I'm looking forward to the opportunity discovery. Well, um, sure, I got- it, it, if, I, if I had like sound effects built into this podcast, you know, I'd do like a breaking news type of a sound effect because, you know, that, that's really huge. So, you know, just for, um, you know, our listeners, I mean, this is literally um, over Thanksgiving weekend, you're getting this promotion. And I just want to say congratulations to you again. Uh, you know, I know you're going to share more on your background, but I'm excited for that kind of work with your background. I just see big things happening. Um, <clears throat> I've already mentioned 10 years from now, your name's going to be plastered over a lot of really cool stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling the pressure on you now. I'm setting the bar. I'm setting the bar high for you, but um, just congratulations. I, I'm excited for that that promotion for you. Well, I appreciate it. It certainly is the uh, the trend for industry today, and not just healthcare, but pretty much all industry experiencing a burst of newness. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to this. Uh, my background, um, I'll give you a little bit. Of, I'll start with my education. Um, I'm an engineer. My undergrad is in mechanical uh, engineering. I have an MBA, so that business focus is there as well. And my doctorate is industrial uh, engineering. Can you still hear me, Jarvis? Yes. Yes, I hear you. Peter went completely blank, so I thought I lost you. Okay. Nope. I can still hear you. Excellent. Um, so, yes, uh, engineering is my background and my passion. Certainly love the ability to pick things apart. Always love to pick things apart, whether it was actual with some radio when I was a little child or some toy. But, but I love to pick things apart analytically as well. And uh, just the process of discovery, it's not what you see on the outside, but hey, what is on the inside that makes you pick? That's always been a curiosity of mine. So, you know, so as far as uh, my career path, I actually started as an engineer, very young engineer with General Electric G many years ago. And um, that experience for about seven, eight years really firmed up um, my craft, if you will, in terms of the, the analytical part of me, I think that's where it really became evident that this was something that I really loved. To. And while I was there, I got exposure to um, quality. If you use the term quality in healthcare, it's going to have a different, a slightly different connotation. But in the engineering world, and you hear the term quality, at least at that particular site, it was processed. And, um, and I had the ability to become, my, my first exposure to Six Sigma was through the Black Belt, Green Belt and Black Belt program, uh, which was done internally. And um, I became a Black Belt and really fell in love with, with that kind of work. taking a problem. And, um, you know, someone that has been plagued with issues for years and then having the ability to help them obtain solutions. I think uh, I, I really appreciated, appreciated that experience. You know, showing the naysayers that, yes, can improve on what currently. It just takes some time to really sit and process and take a look at what you have. And quite frankly, it takes time. Nothing happens. So that that experience um, led me down the path uh, to which I am right where, where I am right now with process improvement. That exposure to solving problems that have been plaguing them and taking off. No, I, I love it. You know, just even going all the way back to your background with GE, you know, one of the, um, you know, architects of the entire Six Sigma movement um, would love if you could take just an extra second to maybe talk about some of the extra stuff that you've done past um, your original black belt training, um, you know, I'll, I'll say even on top of the PhD, which is 
you know, just mind blowing in itself to complete uh, a PhD as an industrial engineer, but um, some of the other levels of professional development that you've gone through, um, your CPHQ, Malcolm Baldridge even, um, could you speak to maybe how some of those extra uh, professional development programs have impacted just the, the work that you're leading and the career path and how you're tackling kind of the day-to-day -day focus you do? Absolutely. And I'm going to take you back even you know, shortly after uh, GE and then come forward a little bit. I actually um, became a teacher. My mom is a teacher and um, I'm the last of kids. And she's all, she always mentioned that, hey, none of her kids, you know, ended up being a, a teacher. And, um, you know, we were engineers, nurses, uh, financial um, uh, professionals in the, in the financial professional area, but no one was a teacher. And um, about the year was 2006, when I made a move from North Carolina to Texas, the Dallas area. And, um, you know, when you, you've been an engineer forever, when you transfer to another area, come to another area, and we moved here really to get closer to family. We didn't move here with a job in mind. But when I got here, of course, you're, you start that process of looking for engineering work. That's what you do. And actually nothing really materialized. I was flying everywhere and interviewing, but nothing really, um, uh, nothing solid came through. And um, here we were about the 1st of August and my kids were about to start school, a new school and um, in elementary and high school and junior high, I apologize. And uh, the, the principal mentioned that, hey, we don't have a physics. So I decided to, you know what, I'm gonna help you guys. I haven't locked down something yet. I'm going to work part-time, uh, help the school out in the process, still look for opportunities in the generic area. And um, so I committed to a year, and I actually taught uh, physics. And I, uh, before the school started, a couple of weeks after the fact, I gained a couple more classes, but it was still part-time. And part-time for one year turned into seven years. And uh, my mom was happy because now she had a teacher. In fact, she has three teachers now out of, out of six. And... Um, and what I realized is that I fell in love with the process of teaching. I fell in love with the process of, of helping others understand something that they never thought that they could. And, um, and that experience, that pause, if you will, from the engineering world allowed me to recognize a lot of things about myself in terms of my desire for others to learn and the passion that I developed for just helping people achieve goals. Um, in this particular case, high school students never thought they would understand algebra and being able to, to rework a problem or present a concept many different ways gave me that challenge of, of, of meeting the needs of people where they are and still achieving a goal. So I appreciated that pause from engineering. And while I actually was on that pause, I went back to school. So I went back to school and I was able to complete my doctorate degree in industrial engineering. And... Um, it was there when I realized that the work that I did in actually there was an engineering discipline. I really didn't know back in 2006 that there was an industrial engineering discipline. The school that I attended in a city college in New York didn't have it. So, but at any rate, um, loved the work of G, loved the fact that here there's an engineering discipline that actually is associated with that. I decided to go and doctorate. And now fast forward, you know, post that. Um, literally, before I even get to healthcare, I'll tell you how I ended up in healthcare. Um, for, of course, your dissertation, you have to pick a topic. So what I did, not knowing what I was going to do, I literally Googled, okay, problems in America. And what came to the top? Healthcare. 
healthcare was the big issue back then. And um, I said, you know what, that's what I'm gonna, and I was able to carve out uh, a problem to really explore and um, dig a little bit deeper in. And, um, and that was really my bridge to healthcare. And after completing the doctoral degree, I said, you know, I've done the engineering, I've done the manufacturing, I've applied my, my knowledge, I've gained much from those areas, but now I want to take on a new, I shifted my focus and then was able to cure uh, actually a senior process improvement specialist position here at Cook Children in 24. So I, I was able to, to couple my seven year pause from engineering and helping others. It was just a compliment to the work that I did at GE and it really gave me a, a great toolkit to now come into this environment and do work. All right. So I, I love it. And, you know, what I took from that um, first is scary if you Google problems in the U.S. that healthcare pops up first. But, um, you know, the the amount of um, pivots, I'll call it, within your career path, I think is so impressive to go from GE to teaching, um, you know, the consulting work into healthcare. I think that that speaks to the fact that there is a place for just about anyone in healthcare and the diverse experience that you can bring to the position to try to make healthcare a little bit better, whether you're touching patients or you're touching the processes. Um, I, I think that's just a really impressive career path. So I, I appreciate just kind of that that exploration through your career. Um, you know, it's funny too. I think I, I shared this in our last conversation too, but my mother's a teacher and I, and I, I'm the engineer. I went to school for engineering, but I'm at a point now in my career and in my business where I'm teaching. And so now my mother and I are having some of the best conversations as we talk about, you know, the, the different things we experience as teachers and coaches and so forth. So, um, yeah, so I, I love the, the similarities from that point of view, but, um, now, Shana, that that is perfect, perfect um, background. And again, all of that leading into your new AVP role that is hot off the press announcement on our podcast today. So um, I'm excited for everything that you're leading. Um, Shana, I'm going to move us to the next question. And I, I'm going to give you the heads up on this, that this is what I call the dark place question, because I am going to take you to uh, or ask you to take us on a journey through your career, um, healthcare career specifically, that you would consider your best moment of failure. I would love if you could, you know, share with us what that moment was, tell us a story, but most importantly, tell us the major lessons learned that you gained from that moment. Absolutely. What comes to mind um, really is making that transition and mindset really from working in an environment where the principles of PI were understood for the most part and they, you know, it was embraced because we had a, I was working at a company that taught GE, we had Jack Ward saying that, hey, this is the way we're going to operate, talking about Sigma. So it was expected that you actually would do, um, utilize these principles and tools to do work that was hand in hand. So coming now to healthcare, you have the mindset that, hey, everyone, you're coming to a new space now. And, um, you know, the, the mindset that you had back there, I had to realize that I had to change it a little because now it was a new industry. Um, healthcare perhaps is a new kid in the block in respect to embracing or being exposed to the principles of PI. We still have a lot of facilities that that do not have a PI program or a strong PI program. So it's not well, it's not, um, well understood, it's not completely embraced, but 
But what I realized coming into healthcare specifically at Cook Children's is that the mindset that you had in that environment, it had, um, you have to meet people where they are. You have to understand that you are now an engineer in the healthcare environment. And a lot of folks view, you know, the, the, the non-clinicians, if you try to go into a clinical area and try to improve a process, what are you doing? You're not a clinician. You can't fix. So you have to meet them where they are. You have to, uh, for the most part, um, take a step back and, um, and strategize as to how am I going to function and be successful. So, you know, the engineer coming into healthcare, and I'm speaking in general and also to myself, my experience, uh, my aha moment, if you uh, my failures is thinking that it was going to be the same as manufacturing, same as production, that everyone's going to be singing Kumbaya, right? The song of PI. And that was not the case. That was not the case. We have certainly made great strides, you know, to get there. And we have leaders that absolutely embrace the, uh, the philosophy and concepts of people. But of course, it was not automatic. Anything that's brand new is going to be a little bit of a hesitation, if you will. But, you know, but I'm thankful that we have great leaders here that are very supportive of the, uh, the PI program. And, I'm a break. Uh, you're my greatest uh, support. Uh, support system here. My boss is a surgeon, and I always tell him that he was meant to be an engineer. He, I think he, he kind of mentioned that he was going down that path at one point, at least uh, just the idea of uh, pursuing that, that type of path. I know his brother's an industrial engineer. He thinks that way. And it's through his um, vision that the PI department was established back in 2009. His name is Dr. Eric Hubley. And um, and through his support and leadership, um, we, we established a program and um, was able to really get the support that we needed to, to get where we are today in 20. And um, you mentioned Malcolm, Malcolm Baldrige. Malcolm Baldrige is something over the past, I've always known about it from even when I was in engineering school as an undergrad, but never really took the opportunity to see it and really try to understand what it was all about. But I, I certainly became interested when I joined the, uh, the healthcare industry uh, because, you know, the, the philosophy there and the principles that I thought really is for operational excellence, arming operations and leaders with the tools that they need to strategize and really develop an organization that functions for everyone. That is. And um, so I'm committed to uh, every year, you know, I think this is my perhaps my third year that uh, in, in the program, but I, I appreciate it because... You're able to, again, give advice and, and help organizations better themselves. And in that process, I'm also picking up the knowledge that I need to apply here for children as well. So it's a, it's a double, it's a double, it's a win-win. Very perfect. Now, I appreciate you sharing that best moment of failure. And, you know, I, I kind of heard you maybe even balance it a little bit because it was a best moment of failure and the aha moment all in one. Um, sure. That I, I had very similar experiences when I first came into healthcare because I came from electric utilities into healthcare. And, you know, my entire life, my entire mindset was projects. Projects are the way we get things done and everybody should be on board. And my very first few projects in healthcare were very similar to yours. And it was like, what is going on? How come nobody here loves this stuff, right? Um, <laughs> You know, and it's, there's still there's still a lot of that in the environment today, unfortunately. But I do feel like the industry has moved forward. So I just wanted to 
to relate to what you were saying there. Um, uh, we could probably, you know, sit back and have virtual drinks and tell all kinds of stories. <laughs> um, would love to touch on, you know, your closing points also maybe around Baldridge. Um, you know, I'll kind of put it out there right now, but my personal call to action for all quality people, whether it's quality improvement or quality management, kind of more on the clinical side of things. But I personally think every healthcare quality person should go through Baldridge as an examiner at the national or state level. But um, what I found as a Baldridge examiner, um, I didn't do this past year just simply because of COVID, but I've done the past two years prior to that. It is the best professional development program that connects to my job. And I've taken so much, like you said, it's a win-win. Um, would want to just simply ask your thoughts kind of in relation to what I just shared there. I know you were kind of going down that path, but just to double down on the Baldridge mindset, um, any other positive takeaways or lessons learned just from the Baldridge experience and how that has helped with your, your improvement work for healthcare? You know what? One thing that comes to mind is, is having strategy, the importance of setting strategy for, for the organization. That, that sets the direction. If, if there's no vision, if there's no mission, if a strategy in place, then what are you doing? You know, what are your goals? What, what are you, how do you know that, you, that you're achieving the, uh, the success that you're striving for? You don't know. So that, you know, that, that light, that guiding light, if you have a mission, vision, and, um, and just setting the, uh, the strategy for a company really sets the tone because now everyone has something to rally around. I think one thing that is very, um, it's always been, I understood it, but I certainly have, have a great appreciation for it, even now with my Baldwin's experience, ensuring that not just the senior leaders have the, the knowledge of what the goals are, what a strategy is. But the frontline staff, it's important for them to be able to connect the dots. It's important for them to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So it becomes less of a do what I say, but let me un help you understand why you're doing what you're doing. And if you're not able to do it successfully or, or choose not to, or for whatever the reasons are you're not successful at what you're doing, this is the impact that it's going to have our customers in our world, our patients. Um, on each other because we are internal customers as well to each other. And then ultimately it's going to impact us as an organization. So I think that connection, that line of sight from top down, I think is critical. And companies who tend to be successful are those that actually that ensure that frontline staff understands the why, because it helps them to really achieve the employee engagement goals of their because now they know they know why they're doing what they're doing and they know if i don't do it correctly what the impact is going to be all right perfect could not have said it better um you know the, again just call to action for anyone that is listening to this particular conversation check out the baldrige program um actually right about now the new application cycle it's probably going to open back up. It's, you know, early December, um, somewhere into January. So I hope folks can um, check that out. And I'll, I'll do a little research and may even post the link with this episode, too, if that's all right, uh, Dr. Kidd. Oh, absolutely. All right, perfect. So let me move you to the next question. And um, this, just to kind of pick us up out of your, uh, your best moment of failure there, but uh, would love if you could give our quality people a tip, tool, or tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections on the projects that you've led. Um, share with us what it is and how do you apply it? One word comes to mind, listen. You have to listen. 
God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? We need to listen twice as well, you know, twice as much as, uh, as we talk. But whenever, personally, when I picked off a project, that first, maybe one, first, second, or third session is going to be a wash in terms of progress as it relates to fixing the the, uh, the employees that you engage will need to have a moment to just let it out. Allow them the space to, um, to speak to the issues that they have been plaguing them forever, for a long time. And um, perhaps some of them may have shared uh, potential resolutions for addressing the issues that they experienced, but no one listened. So it's important to allow them that time, that space to just, just let it all out. That allows you, why is that important? Because it allows you to build trust, because you've listened to them. They recognize you as someone that uh, would be trustworthy. And when you listen to them, you really hear what the pain points and you cannot address what you don't. If you don't understand an issue, what are you fixing? If you don't understand the process, what are you? So listening is a critical competency that everyone in a work of PI should allow your customer, internal customers, allow your external customer, your patient, um, family members to express themselves in terms of what they have experienced unfavorable and, you know, allow them that space. Don't interrupt them down. Don't try to explain anything. Just allow them and take note that the act of listening is extremely effective. I realized that, especially here in healthcare, um, again, given that I don't have the clinical background, it doesn't mean that I can't fix problems, clinical problems that I can and I have, but it's important for them to see that you're allowing them the ability to share from their expert, from their expert view, um, experiential learning, what they have been exposed to, to really convey the issue. And I need that as well, because every clinical space is going to be a little bit different. The culture and the environment is going to be a little bit different. So I can't assume that what I've heard in one clinic is going to be the same thing that I'm going to expect in another. So it's going to be very unique. So my, my term here is listen. Let that be a, a competency that we all strive to really uh, solidify. Well, and the, the way you just broke it down there, it sounds simple. And yet we know it can be one of the harder leadership qualities to bring out sometimes. Um, but, you know, to your point, too, the, as you shared your thought and kind of connecting with this question, when we talk about like those five stages of team development and, you know, it's the storming and the forming um, or form, uh, forming and storming right out the gate. Um, listening, that's that's exactly how you get through those initial stages to let the team, to your point, you know, feel heard, get get the monkey off their back, so to speak, you know, kind of release the frustration so they can then move into a better space mentally to start problem solving with you. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Great, great takeaway there. Listening is a skill in and of itself. So something for us to work on. Um, next question I have for you, Charnette, uh, I would love for you to share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader. Um, but again, you know, take us through that moment, share with us um, how did that idea strike you? And definitely if you were able to turn it into a personal or a professional success. I'm going to go back to my, um, again, uh, being a teacher actually happened accidental, <laughs> right? I did not set out to be a high school teacher teaching uh, geometry, algebra two, and, and calculus, et cetera, and physics. Um, it was not, that was not a part of the plan, but I saw I was able to leverage that experience and I had the option of, of stopping after that first year, but I decided, I made a decision. 
but I was going to continue. So I, I don't know if I shared this earlier, but one year turned into 70, um, being in the classroom. And I absolutely loved it. Some folks might say, my goodness, you spent seven years away from your engineering work. I absolutely did. And um, I recognized that um, I had something to give. I had something to share with others. And um, so the act of teaching, taking a pause really has allowed me to, to see the value of, of having good teaching. If you don't have a good teacher, then there's, you don't have the ability to learn. And some people may have, you know, may have had the experience of being a student and had to sort of teach themselves, right? We have a lot of information available on the internet for sure, but there's something to be said about having a teacher that cares about you. So what I've realized and what I've gleaned from that, which is what I'm utilizing here now is to see the value of, there are a lot of, and I, I can't tell you a percentage of what, but I know that there are healthcare systems that have closed down their PI programs because in their mind, it was not working, it was not effective. Now, I can't judge. I have no idea what they were. I would imagine there are a lot of factors. But, you know, I've, I've asked um, maybe a couple of times, hey, what happened? What it boiled down to is that some believe that the principles just were not effective. It just, just didn't work. So I challenged with that. What that told me was that perhaps we had a little bit of an issue with the way things were taught and perhaps the way things were, did that person who was leading that effort, that program really understand how to really understood how to, to help others rise to the occasion. It's not that the, the concepts don't work. Of course, that we see it all the, t all the time, but if you have a, a situation where it has seemingly failed, then we, a good PI person would say, Hey, why? And, um, you know, what I do to being preemptive is, is recognizing the need for employees who are not engineers, who are maybe not terribly comfortable with math and data, to break it down to them, help them understand the principle, meet them where they are, and tapping into my, my role as a teacher back in, in high school, find a way to present the concept in a way that resonates with the way that they are. And when they get it, my goodness, you have a quote-unquote a follower, someone that now really appreciates what you're doing, they really appreciates the concept, appreciate the concept, and now they in turn become almost like ambassadors for the site. And where I had one voice, now I have the 12 voices that are preaching and talking about and showing that the principle. So, so being that effective teacher, teaching is a, is a key thing that I do here in my role. Um, I actually didn't mention this earlier, but I'm also an adjunct professor at the University of Texas at Arlington. So, and I've been there since uh, 2013. So I, you know, I, and I'm still doing it. And I certainly uh, still appreciate teaching, but my goal there really, again, is to ensure that the students that I have, that I'm responsible for, I take it very seriously. And I want to make sure that they get the education that they're paying for. Here at Cook Children's, we develop a lot of curricula um, in-house and um, so there's no charge to the employees it's just a matter of their signing up to take these classes and um, and they appreciate it things that we do internally would cost the company thousands and thousands of dollars they're supposed to but having I think an effective program where you're you're really concentrated on helping 
the employees learn, I suppose. You want to teach them how to fish uh, for themselves as opposed to giving them fish. Um, that is something that my department, the direction that I've set the department on where we are really spending time ensuring that the employees are so that they can go out there. and Well, ensuring that, you know, again, we talked a few weeks ago just about the different types of training and teaching programs that, you know, you're, you, you and your team are running, the things that I run through my business. And I think I, I'll say I had a similar aha moment from a teaching point of view that, you know, we're experts, right? We live for lean and Six Sigma and process improvement in healthcare. And when I first started out on my path, I thought I'd be just trying to transfer my knowledge into somebody else. And I kind of had my aha moment was that that's not always the best way to teach, so to speak. So I found myself getting connected with um, instructional designers with, uh, you know, very, um, you know, very well established coaches that, you know, it's more than just teaching is kind of the the aha moment that I had, but it's really helping adults because we're dealing with adult learners, um, helping them find transformation. So it's not good enough to say, you know, this is what a 5S is, but it's helping them to understand the concepts, apply the concepts, and then see the transformation that that concept can establish for them. And that was, you know, that's been my learning cycle now. So definitely, you know, three years into my business, I am so much better of a teacher now than I was when I started and so much even better when I was in my corporate life. But um, just, I, I tell that story just to maybe ask from your point of view, um, are there any um, tips that you would give to our listeners who may be in a similar position? Because all of us kind of do a little bit of teaching and coaching with the teams that we support as quality professionals. Um, how do we establish better transformations for our group? So it's not just us pulling them into a classroom environment, but it's seriously teaching them something that they can walk out and start applying or see the value of. And I really appreciate, you know, the time they spent with you, if it was just a workshop or if it was a full out, you know, weeks and weeks, you know, Lean Six Sigma training course. Any any tips you can give really quickly just to say, hey, guys, also consider these things when you're when you're teaching or coaching? Absolutely. One thing comes to mind is, and again, this is something that I learned when I was teaching in high school. That's why I really appreciated the seven-year pause. Um, varying the learning, um, I got, I had to get creative. And what I realized was experiential learning. That is the best way for something to, you cannot stand in front of a classroom and just talk the concepts only. It may start there, but it cannot end there. You have to allow your students, whether it be, you know, employees or patients. We even have uh, our families now that are interested in becoming PI trained. We had a conversation probably a couple weeks ago before the break about um, with a family advisory council. They want to learn the principles of PI as well so they can understand what we're doing and when we can't get a solution in place, they can, they can understand the rationale as to why. Because some things that you set out to fix Sometimes when you're not able to, to get there 100%. But the point here is that the allowing your students, quote unquote, to have practice with the concepts as quickly as possible is the best way for that implement knowledge. What I did in high school was that I always was project oriented. I had them doing egg drops. I had them building edible cars. 
I had them build it to bridges where they had to apply the concepts, a lot of things coming together in this one project and, and they, they understood it. You know, they may have, may have um, understood maybe 30, 40% of it when I talked about it, but now that they had to put it into play and measure things out, et cetera, and get angles right, you know, they understood the concepts. And I do that with um, here at Cook Children's as well, not just here at uh, Cook Children's, but also in my uh, at UTA, at a university I teach at, where projects are very project-oriented. And it's by design because I know how uh, effective experiencing something is to me. It has been proven. Um, there are a lot of different ways adults learn, but one, one thing that is common uh, you know, in terms of being effective across the board is allowing them to experience it. Applying the concept is going to be uh, for the for those con for the for that information and knowledge to stick, and then for them to be able to 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 apply some you know another point. So the ability to experience it um, and even teach it to someone else and um, and apply it shortly after in their work environment. I would say that. Right. Perfect. No, that that has been my same aha moment. And so much so that even um, all of the trainings that I do, at least with the corporate teams that I get to train, it's all project-based. So we learn a concept, we go do it. And by the end of the entire training event, you know, we've got real life solutions in place. So, um, so absolutely. I, I love, love that concept. And that, that's something I haven't talked a lot about on this podcast is, you know, kind of best practices around teaching and training. Um, I'm still learning um, myself more tips and more tools, especially as I've pivoted to be do a lot more virtual stuff now. But um, but yeah, it's, it's exciting. And I, I you know, I, I'm kind of clunking myself on the head. It was like, oh, man, the the folks that I worked with back in the day, I feel like I cheated them based on the, the way that I do it today. But um, no, that that's great. I, I again, I can just relate to your aha moment. So I, I appreciate you kind of sharing that. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Charnette, uh, let me move you down to the next question. And we'd love to ask, um, what are some changes taking place across the healthcare industry that you're excited about right now? And what role do you see quality improvement professionals playing to promote or support us longevity? So you know what? Two letters, AI, <laughs> right? Artificial intelligence. It's, it's everywhere right now. It's in our homes, it's in our cars, it's on our phone. And, um, you know, rightly so. It's, it's effective. It's about productivity, it's being efficient. It's about learning and learning at a fast pace. So I would say artificial intelligence being applied in the health probably should be no surprise to anyone that that is the hot topic. That is the way, that is our future. And um, the ability to learn at a fast pace is going to be attractive in, in any instance. And, um, and quite frankly, I appreciate the fact that we're now able to really utilize the data what, that we generate every day. We generate a lot of data. And um, the EHR systems, we historically have just collected data and it sat there. We did nothing with it. So now we can actually turn that data into information. We have knowledge now. We can utilize it to make decisions, prove process, in some cases, innovative. The newness of things and methods utilized to, again, be efficient. So I would say artificial intelligence, um, just doing something with your data and learning from it. Is, is it something that perhaps is easy to do, 100% um, reliable? Probably not. So there's going to be evolution even in that space as well. But it's exciting. These are exciting times that you have the ability to zero in on a diagnosis quickly because of the data uh, fundamentally used to help 
create a model of non-physician. So that's that's pretty exciting. One caution, though, I, I always share with that is, and I tell it all the time in the classes that I teach, is that you have to understand the source of your garbage in, garbage out. And if you do not understand the data source and really validate what you're using as your, your basis for models, then you will have a model, but it could be erroneous. So, you know, I always push the, um, the thought process of ensuring that your data validation process and you want to make sure that you're using uh, good data, quote unquote, good data. Uh, good data will lead to a good model. It's reliable. And uh, that is, so that's, yeah, that's my thought there. AI, I think, is, uh, it's, is the way we're going to be operating. We're doing it now across multiple in healthcare is on the rise. And um, quite frankly, it's pretty exciting. Well, let me let me move to the next question, and I'm I'm gonna you know connect this next question to what you just shared and your AI response there to um, to this previous question. But uh, the next question technically is you know how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to start to grow their careers? But um, I, I want to tag on to your point about AI and, you know, really just the, the future innovations that are starting to come into alignment for healthcare. Um, but is there anything that today's quality professionals should also be doing to get prepared for the future? Um, so kind of tackling it from both sides. It, it, can the industry do more to accommodate uh, just talented professionals, but um, for the folks trying to come in, how do we get ready for the massive amount of potential changes that can still come in our industry? It's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think you have to be, you, you got to be flexible. Um, the way that we work um, is always going to be constantly changing. And it, as it should, as we're learning and gleaning, we should be um, focused on becoming more efficient, more productive. So the one, the one way that, you know, used to work years ago may not be the approach that is, is going to be, that's going to keep you on, on top of your forward. So I think the quality professionals ought to be focused on getting educated, see what is out there in terms of, um, in terms of trends and pick your, pick your path because everyone's interest and focus is going to be a little bit different. See what resonates with you and, and be flexible enough to perhaps it's not a full-blown, maybe a year program maybe it's just a workshop maybe it's just a, a virtual session of, of gaining knowledge uh maybe it's tapping into journals that exist find a way to um, that that resonates with you that works for you in terms of acquiring knowledge. and uh, but be flexible and recognize that that things are going to change and we have to recurrent one thing that ai certainly is going to do for or just the, the access to data when i think about RFID and RTLS, utilizing a technology for tracking purposes. I know one thing that has been a challenge for me in my department is um, where technology has been helpful is, you know, when you have a small staff and you want to go into Gemba and collect data, you may not be able to spend a whole month in Gemba collecting data or following staff around to map things out. Technology will allow you to, uh, to have a presence in the clinic, even though you're not physically there, where perhaps a patient or a family member has on a tracking device, an RFA tag or badge, and, um, or staff member has a badge and you can collect that movement in space, um, you know, accurately. And um, you can get more data because, again, you have engaged your space, that data is being documented. So it's, it's going to also help us as quality professionals to really be able to uh, 
to acquire more data, reliable data. Um, we can't be there all shifts, but your employees are in the space and they're in their, you know, their zone and you're collecting data and you're not even there. The more data you have, the better, the greater that sample size is, the better your models. So technology and the, the technological growth certainly coupled with the traditional QI approaches are going to be, you know, effective and we have to be flexible enough to be comfortable with these concepts of technology and reap the benefits. All right, perfect. And, you know, if it's okay, I'll, I'll add on my thought as well. But, um, you know, just one of the benefits that I've gotten Dr. Kidd from having this podcast is that now I literally kind of LinkedIn stalk a lot of different people um, from a lot of different industries, a lot of different backgrounds. And I've been connecting, um, I mentioned it to you, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I've recently connected with someone who um, is an outside of healthcare expert who is leading AI um, in healthcare work. And, you know, that that's one of the kind of add-ons I'll, I'll, you know, share based on your great reply there is start looking at other industries, people who are already proficient in, you know, if it's AI or other innovations, um, chances are some of these people are getting tapped to lend their thought leadership for healthcare, but you can still connect with them nonetheless and, um, you know, learn about the different things, the different ways that, you know, these innovations are impacting other industries and how do we, you know, learn from it or apply it in healthcare. But um, again, just complete side benefit that I never would have realized until after starting this podcast is there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the world that um, healthcare would consider innovative and benefit from. And I think that's something, you know, for all of us um, as healthcare professionals, just to kind of keep our eyes open to other things um, and, and healthcare being open to considering that, that, you know, process or that change when it's appropriate. Absolutely. Benchmarking. There you go. Absolutely. Perfect. Uh, Charnette, let me um, move you down to the next part of our show. And it's uh, what I like to call the two minute drill, kind of my take on a rapid fire Q&A, but I always love to check and make sure everybody's ready to go. So how are you feeling? You, you ready to rock this out for the last few minutes of our, our time today? Let's give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Can't ask more than that. But um, Charnette, the next question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I would love for you to share with our quality people something about your current role or even your future role um, that inspires you to do your best, but also share with us how do you inspire others in your organization? It inspires me to do my best, inspire others. All right. So... I'm going to go back to, um, you know, having someone's knowledge in your hands, the ability for them to function and be effective. When you have the ability to help someone improve a process, you've got to take that very seriously. Um, you know, your ability to, your, your failure or success is going to be tied to success of the operating company. And um, so walking them through the process of, of improving and, and following the, the correct process of improvement also is critical. Um, you can go through an exercise and not obtain the results. That you so I take the, the act of improving a process very seriously, as small as it may be. We get projects um, a lot of different sizes. Um, it's just my process versus it's a department process versus a multi-company process. I treat them all as if someone has read that there's a problem that I'm 
So I treat them all. Of course, the approach is going to be a little bit different, but the end result is, is that my goal is that they are satisfied and resolved. Uh, how I inspire others is really taking them through the journey of improvement, um, not just leading and driving, but bringing them alongside with me so they can appreciate the process of it as well. And again, I love the concept of teaching folks how to think so that, you know, if some of these principles are easy enough, they're plug and play. I learn and I go, right? And I can apply it myself. And I, I ensure that as I'm dealing with them, I'm also teaching so that they can apply uh, and be inspired to embrace these principles to the point where they can drive their own improvement and challenge. Right, beautiful. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? I tell my students at UTA, and as you know, industrial engineering, that is that discipline that is really connected people part of. You have to be able to relate to people. You really have to be able to connect with them. You're not going to be successful if you drive efforts in a silo, taking a siloed approach. Or I am the leader, follow me. You have to be, you have to engage people again, come to where they are and build that trust. So I would say, you know, being people oriented is going to be extremely um, essential. It's going to be certainly connected to your ability to succeed. Uh, you know, if you rub, quote unquote, rub folks the wrong way, it can make or break your efforts in any environment because, you know, bad words or bad experiences get around really, really fast and, uh, and it can impact your ability to be successful. So, so meet the people where they are, allow them, you know, they may be heated and, 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 you know, hands in the air, you maintain your calm composure, you be professional at all times and, um, you know, they're going to see it for what it is. They're going to realize that you're here for business and yeah, allow the, the frustrations to be expressed, but maintain that calm exposure. That is the key way of, of really connecting with people, building trust and, uh, and building their relationships that are going to be very critical for the work that you in the PI world. Perfect. And um, Dr. Kidd, if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Of course, wow. this was before I knew about the brand new promotion. So that's why I still, but I was like, would she trade jobs? She just got a new job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my boss is going to be like, now, where do you want to go? What's next? <laughs> um, well, you know what? Um, that's a that's an interesting, I don't know why it came to mind, but it, I, I got a good chuckle from it. But I, I, I now view it as a compliment. Now, again, it's an engineering internship, um, focus on design, et cetera. My mentor, my leader at the time at that facility told me, knowing how I operated and how I engaged people, I was actually, he actually told me that, you know what, you should consider going into HR, not engineering. <laughs> and you know what, at that time, uh, I think it hurt my feelings. I felt a little bit, you know, what are you talking about? I'm a great engineer. Um, but I, I think what, you know, what he saw back then and I hope it was not to discourage me from engineering, but I think what he saw back then was my, my passion for people. And, um, and sitting really, you know, like I talked about earlier, talking about sitting down and really listening to people. I did that. And I did that even as an engineer. Engineers historically may have that, that mindset of, you know, silo, I'm behind a computer, just crunching numbers, not really people-oriented. Uh, do what I say, et cetera, pretty hard and firm and um, not really engaging people. But, you know, I, I, I reflected on my reaction to that comment. And I was, I believe I was hurt back then. Like, what are you talking about? 
I'm a great engineer. You're telling me that I should go and sign up to be a, an HR, you know, instead of going down the engineering path, consider HR. But I'm, I'm not, you know, certainly not calling down the HR department. That They play a very critical role in every organization. But what he saw there, again, was my connection here and for, you know, my concern for people and where they are and moving them from one place to another. Uh, you know, so I, I, I actually, you know, I view myself as, as almost like an HR rep, almost like a counselor. Someone here in this company about a couple of years told me that I missed my calling, that I should have been a counselor <laughs> because, uh, again, I just love people and I can do the engineering work and I think I'm very comfortable in that in that realm but what a lot of folks don't realize is that connection is so so if i had to change jobs you know given that i just came into this one i probably may not be changing anytime soon but i want to highlight to if i if you don't mind if i can answer it a little bit differently sure that if you're if you're going to say hey i need an answer i'll give you an answer but i think <laughs> something that everyone in in our area in our discipline should really embrace how do we connect and for some people it doesn't come it does not come naturally they have to work at it and that's okay but just recognizing that there's a need to connect with people where they are and to listen people that really fundamentally is how we're going to be successful in the world of people. no i i i appreciate that reply um Shonette, because that I think would be my answer um, if I ever sat on the other side of this microphone for this podcast is um, HR. And it, it kind of goes into the organizational psychology part of HR for me personally, though. So, so yeah, I, I, I can connect. I, I resonate with, uh, with what you shared there. Um, and I'll give you a heads up. So maybe 50% of our guests literally say, I'm happy where I am. I wouldn't change jobs. And then the, the other 50% give me an answer. So you you would have been right either which way. So uh, next question I have for you is, I, I would love if you could share a personal habit that contributes to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives. Stay the course, never give up, perseverance. You're not going to be um, employee of the year. Perhaps you might be one year, but employee of the year, what I mean is that, you know, you're doing work that may not be entirely popular. You're asking folks to, to change and who loves change? Um, not everyone embraces it. So I think stay the course and perseverance is gonna be that that's my habit, that I, I don't stop until the work is done, until I've delivered and what I've promised. And, um, and it, it certainly keeps me going and the passion keeps me going as well, especially when it gets really rough and rocky in the midst of a project. But at the end of the day, my goal is to deliver to that champion what I've, what I've, what I've committed to do. And, and I stay the course. All right. Perfect. And can you share with our quality people a professional society or a professional conference that you think would be a value at? The um, Institute of Industrial and Systems Engineers, um, that organization has, there are many different um, arms of it, if you know, and I think there's something there for everyone. Considering that the, the principles that we're talking about today really had its, had its the origins really stemmed from the engineering world. A lot of our forefathers, if you will, were industrial engineers. I think, you know, staying connected to that organization will a good idea. And again, there's so many different things, so many different ways to get involved. Um, classes are being offered. There's workshops available. Um, I would recommend, that's my go-to, if you will. And I stay connected to them as much as I can. Right. 
Perfect. And uh, of course, that is a group that I'm pretty connected with, but absolutely how we even connected for the first time. So if for nothing else, you will build amazing networks as as proven by this conversation right here. Um, Next question I have for you. uh, If you could recommend one book to our quality people, what would it be and why? (laughs) Wow. Um, Believe it or not. uh, And, you know, some might raise their eyebrows and say, what are you talking about? But I love statistics. I, I was looking through, I was doing some five lesson in my, one of my libraries uh, yesterday and was, uh, I found that I had a lot of historical schoolwork, PhD statistical course material. Um, I said, you know what, I have to go and take a look at this. I, I've always loved math. And when I taught math in high school, I would tell the students to say, hey, turn off the TV, put down your phones and just, I just work math problems out. I just, I just love the challenge of, the new challenge, if you will, of solving a problem. So I, I turned to statistics and I would take out a statistics book and just, I just read it for fun. And when you think you, you understood and you get it, hey, there's another way that you can work a problem out, another way that you can, you know, perceive or apply um, the concept to, because when you're engaged in PI, there are a lot of different issues and challenges that come up, of course. And the data that you're dealing with, you have to figure out, well, what is the best approach to, to analyze? You know, the best way to analyze this data to get you the results you look for. For me, again, I might get some eyebrows raised on this one, but for me, anything related to the analytics and statistics, crunching data and uh, creating models, I, I totally love that. So you can see me sitting down reading this book. I'm sorry. Say, <laughs> right. so, yeah, I, I would only think that was weird if I wasn't an industrial engineer and if I wasn't married to someone who already has a PhD in statistics. So <laughs> I, I get it. <laughs> Uh, last question I have for you, Charnette. And again, I, I appreciate you letting me kind of go well beyond my time with you today, but we are right there at the, the you know, most important question, if nothing else, for this entire conversation. But um, going to try to get you to reflect on your past while also getting you to look forward to your future. So let's say if you're able to text, send yourself one text message 10 years in the past and one text message to yourself 10 years into the future take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those questions and messages, questions? <laughs> what would you communicate in each one of those messages? All right. So 10 years um, in the past, what would I tell my, what would I tell my, um, you know, tough, be tough. Don't allow things to, uh, you know, I consider myself to be a very tough individual. There are a lot of things that could be said and done. And, um, you know, I, I pray them away because I'm a, I am a Christian. I pray things away and, and address things as I need. But, you know, sometimes, like I just told you that the, uh, the incident with my previous mentor being an intern, that I was offended because he said I should forget about engineering and go to HR. And, um, you know, but that, that moment of recognizing that, um, you know, folks are going to be, you know, perhaps say some mean things, but don't be derailed. Don't be, um, don't let that ruffle your feathers. Um, build a mindset of, of being tough. And, and again, you know, having that sense of, of persevering that regardless of what comes your way, um, take it and, um, and see what the lessons that you, know, you can glean from it forward. But, but don't waste an ounce of time um, worrying about things that you really have no control over and focus on you and what your goals are and let that be the guy. So I think that might be the text, 10 years into the past. 10 years into the future, (laughs) uh, 
you know, what you want to do, you have your goals, you have the, the path that you perhaps have you know, laid out for yourself. Recognize that it may not happen exactly the way you, but it's going to happen exactly in the way that it needs to happen because there are lessons to be learned. And I think that might be something that I might tap on for the 10 years in the past too. You know, follow the breadcrumbs where they may, where they are and, um, and recognize that you'll get there eventually, but you have to go through the journey. And sometimes it's not a straight line point A to point B, but appreciate, um, you know, appreciate the journey to get to where you're and there are things to glean there are things to learn as you go along the way and i think it's by um it's divine uh you know wisdom that you're the breadcrumbs i always say follow the breadcrumbs but it's not going to be a straight line point a to point b but a part of that experience is really appreciating the journey as you're getting so so enjoy the ride and um and again Things are going to happen that are not, in your mind, perhaps should not have happened. It would have been a good thing if it didn't happen. But in every situation, in every uh, event or thing that happened to you, there's something that you can learn. And there are breadcrumbs that you can pull from um, experience that will carve your way uh, to the next. No, I, I love it. And, you know, with, with you saying, you know, the point about the breadcrumbs, um, it makes me think of a statement, basically, success leaves clues. So as you go through the ups and downs and ins and outs of your career path, um, you know, looking for the breadcrumbs that you're leaving behind, but the people that came before you, like there are clues all over the place for what finally equated to some level of success. So that that's, you know, what, what your entire statement there, Shernet, kind of puts me in the mindset of. Um, and I, I am calling it now, 10 years from now, again, you know, you are going to be very well known for um, the work you're leading around healthcare innovation, healthcare AI, performance and process improvement, all of the above. So I'm, I'm just speaking it into the universe right now, 10 years from now, hopefully this podcast is still around and, uh, you know, I get to get you back on and I could play this episode for you and just be like, I told you. <laughs> so... Um, no, Shernet, um, I want to um, just first thank you uh, again for the time, for the contribution, honestly, just for the friendship. You know, we connected um, several, well, a couple of years ago and have had the chance to reconnect lately. And it's just been um, an honor and a blessing just to to really get to know you more and more. I really enjoyed our, our conversations and uh, everything you've talked about on this podcast today. Um, I think it's going to resonate very well. So I really, really just want to say thank you for everything. Um, before I let you go, I would love if you could just give our quality people that parting piece of advice, share the best way that they can follow or connect with you through social media, and then I will officially let you go for the day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jonas, I really appreciated the time spent here with, you know, if I'm, if I'm able to help someone uh, in, on their journey, the world of PI or in the midst of PI, the world that we're in, uh, you know, that's my goal. I wish I had the opportunity, the mentors years ago, and maybe that's another thing that I would tell to myself, find mentors early, but to give guidance so that I can, you know, avoid some landmines. But, you know, pardon advice to our quality folks, figure out, you know, spend some time and, and figure out your own personal strategy really have a, a heart to heart with yourself and see where do you see yourself what what do you want to be where do you want to go 
Um, don't let someone else define that for you. Sometimes our experiences will give us some clues, you know, right? As far as perhaps the next path, the next step of this path is your life. But, but really spend some time evaluating yourself and your likes and dislikes and figure out your own personal strategy and, um, and see what resonates with you. Figure out, you know, is it healthy? Is it, it might be something else. It may not be uh, healthy. It might be another industry. Maybe you've tried healthy and, um, and it just didn't work for you. And it's okay. There's no, in my vocabulary, you know, Failure is, is something that, you know, you hear the same feel is not an option. Sometimes failure comes. But I think in every situation, whether it's favorable or not, uh, as far as the end results are concerned, there's something that you can glean and learn. Um, you can learn about something and glean something from that. And then at the end, how, how can you really consider that failure? So my challenge to the quality personnel, people out there, as you're listening, is to really spend some time learning about who you are. Figure out what your what your desires are. What do you see yourself doing? Invest that time in yourself now so you can help figure out the path and get aligned with perhaps mentors or organizations that can help you. Your own. The best way to connect with me, um, I, I am on LinkedIn. Um, if you can Google my name, Shernette is not a very popular name, Shernette Kid. Uh, I'll be surprised if another Shurnet kid came up, but certainly you can connect with me that way. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me um, via email uh, at work, um, shurnet.kid at cookchildrens.org is another way to do that. And um, I would love to hear from you. I appreciate just having a conversation with, um, with anyone. If, if your goal is to learn and you think it can be of some assistance, if you need some guidance, if you need, you know, that calling that they told me that I have a counselor, whatever the case is, I just love to connect with people, but um, share your story. And if you're challenged in any way, um, I will try to be of uh, some assistance. I certainly appreciate um, meeting people, networking with others, and um, I'll be more than open to, to talk to anyone. Feel free to connect. Perfect. And again, I, I would just, you know, really encourage any person listening to follow up. Um, you know, we kicked this uh, podcast off. I mean, uh, I'm pushing almost two years now, almost a two year anniversary. Wow. And, you know, the goal was to introduce um, other healthcare leaders to folks that I've come across either through my personal contacts or through research um, who would just make themselves available, um, act as a potential mentor, if nothing else, just plugging in with this podcast and hearing so many different great stories, motivations, inspirations, losses, failures. Um, so that that's the goal of this podcast. So I encourage all of our listeners to reach out to Dr. Kidd, to any of our past guests, um, Charnette, Thank you so much again for all of the, the time, the wisdom shared today, and to our quality people everywhere. Thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Shrenette, and we are signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, 
access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.